why does everyone wait until December 24th to do holiday shopping? Every single year, Christmas comes on December 25th. It really should come as no surprise. I mean, it can't sneak up on you, right? Neither can December 31st, the last day of the calendar year, last call for nonprofit fundraising. But somehow, it sneaks up on nonprofit leaders, and they find themselves scrambling with six weeks left on the clock. Sure, you should have built an annual fundraising plan that included a detailed plan for the final quarter. Maybe you even did. But maybe you were a bit ambitious. Maybe, just maybe, you thought your board might do more. Or maybe you can't yet afford a development director and you only wish you had a fundraising plan you weren't exceeding. This podcast is for you. Today, my guest has come complete with a hat, and I think she has a few rabbits she intends to pull out of it. And it could be just what you need to ensure year-end fundraising success. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab gets it. She is here to help. Gail Perry is an international fundraising consultant, keynote speaker, trainer, and philanthropy leader. She's a leader in this new brand of fundraisers who are on the cutting edge of fundraising today. Her fired-up fundraising approach, developed over the past 30 years as a nonprofit expert, has helped organizations raise hundreds of millions of dollars in gifts. Gail particularly enjoys working with nonprofit board members, introducing them to a new perspective on fundraising and how they can be set up to succeed. Gail was recently named number 10 on the list of America's top fundraising experts, published by Philanthropy Media, and her best-selling book, which I highly recommend, Fired Up Fundraising, Turn Board Passion into Action, has been called the gold standard guide to building successful fundraising boards. Successful fundraising boards. This is not an oxymoron. I just like to say that. Her website at gailperry, with two R's, dot com, is jam-packed with information, advice, invitations to webinars, resources galore, and I encourage everyone who's listening to head on over there, and I guarantee you're going to find something that will immediately enable you to be more effective at your fundraising work. Gail joined me last year, and we had a great and rather provocative conversation about whether or not it's a lost cause to ask board members to solicit gifts. You can find that podcast at iTunes. I encourage you to have a listen. And if you're intrigued, I suggest you stick with us today. Gail, thanks so much for joining me. How you doing, Joan? I am doing well. Um, Gail was in uh, North Carolina and uh, managed not to get evacuated during the hurricane, and I'm glad that you and your family are safe and sound and uh, just drying out. Yes, I think I just found out that the damage from the hurricanes in North Carolina was um, over $10 billion. So we're still trying to clean up in, along the coast. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so let's let our listeners off the hook a little bit, shall we? I, yeah. find, I find that very, organi- very few organizations are completely ready for year-end fundraising with a plan for board and staff with an organizational accountability around making the most of the last quarter. Is that your experience? And as a follow-up question to that, what do you think ready actually looks like? Oh, that's so interesting. I think the best organizations lay out their year-end plan in August. And in September, they're writing all their copy and getting everything approved and set up. So readiness is a moving target. 
and I think our listeners are going to be listening to this, what, six weeks before the end of the year. Yeah, this is actually, um, this podcast is intended for the, uh, probably for either the procrastinators or (laughs) or the person that has a development director who isn't. They probably can't afford, maybe they can't afford a high-end development director, so they have sort of more of a development manager. Yeah. Well, there's still plenty of things you can do six weeks out. And in fact, I think six weeks out, I would have all hands on deck with a very few, very targeted strategies that are going to be designed to capture as much money as available for your organization between now and December 31st. Because we know that uh, the last few weeks of the year are the giving season and donors tend to think deeply about their causes and how much money they're going to allocate to their different um, favored organizations. So since donors are thinking about giving, it's it's the right time for nonprofits to be in front of donors. Uh, cheerfully, uh, Joan, I like to say you need to be cheerfully aggressive in presenting your case and being in front of um, talking about your cause. I love that. Cheerfully um, aggressive. Yes. And let me tell you the story of cheerfully aggressive. I was um, years ago, I was in a presentation and the major foundation leaders of North Carolina were t- giving advice to the lowly fundraisers in the audience. You know how the foundation people will give advice. And this guy from one of the top foundations in North Carolina, he looked out of the audience and he said, you all need to be cheerfully aggressive presenting your case to us because if you don't do it, who is? We're depending on you to communicate with us about the need and the impact that you're making. So I I hope everybody will take that into account and just understand that you've got to have that cheerful attitude of abundance and we're going to take advantage of opportunity and we're so excited about the work we're doing and the, 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 how we're changing the world. And don't you want to come join our bandwagon? Yes, this is it. This is totally it. It is a, it is a cheerful endeavor actually, because you are the way I like to think about it. It's like you're having a party at your organization, right? And it's a remarkable place and you're doing this these extraordinary things. And who wouldn't cheerfully go out to somebody and say, you should, you should come join our party. You should be a part of this thing. It's amazing and extraordinary. It's remarkable. It's gratifying. Join us. And that there's that's a that's a that's a lovely invitation, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, it's all about energy. That's one reason why I think board members, I'm not so sure all board members should be out asking because if a board member has clammy energy (laughs) (laughs) activity and many board members feel very awkward, if they have that energy, it's going to be infectious and they're not going to be successful. This is why when I talk, uh, people say, you know, I talk about board building strategy and I say, okay, I just want to tell you that help me, I need new board members is not a strategy. (laughs) No, <laughs> and the number one thing you're looking for is somebody who's just like madly in love with your organization. And you can just, if you, if you got that, you can work with any board member. And you know, John, what you're talking about is this emotional stuff. And so many people study fundraising strategies, tactics, but if you don't have the right kind of energy and tone of voice with everything you do and that enthusiasm, you're not, you're not going to be successful. I wish we could measure the energy thing and and um and put put numbers on it so people will understand it and practice it it's funny i used to um when i used to hire uh, major gifts officers when i was at glad uh-huh. i did what i called the um the lunchtime sniff test 
And I wouldn't necessarily have lunch with all the candidates, but I'd spend 10 or 15 minutes with them. And um, I would make an assessment about whether or not I enjoyed that 15 minutes, whether it was enjoyable, whether it was inspiring, whether I learned something. Um, Because if you can make that all happen at an ask or even a cultivation, renewal, whatever it is, and you make me feel like I'm smarter, that I have an opportunity to do something in the world that I wasn't going to do before I met you, then it's been a good day at the office, right? Yeah, a totally good day. Yeah. So I want to throw something in here that we didn't talk about before. So year-end fundraising, and I, I want to move on because you've, you've, you've done some really great writing on year-end fundraising tips. And, and what I've heard in the, in the first part of this conversation is do not lose hope if it's six weeks out and you're not as prepared as you want to be, or you feel like your board is not as engaged as you need it to be, um, don't give up hope because Gail has some some good ideas for you. But I wanted to ask you, Gail, about um, the impact of uh, election years on uh, on year-end fundraising. And um, most of my podcasts are quite evergreen, but this we are in a situation where we have a very fired up citizenry who's very engaged in an upcoming election. And I just wonder what your experience has been about um, uh, fundraising in, in, in political seasons. Uh, well, the studies apparently show that uh, major political seasons don't impact fundraising extensively. So I'm going to rely on the data in that area. And I do know that in a, in a state of great volatility and passion about politics the way it is in the U.S. right now, there's a, a thing we call rage donating. Uh, and that may be, I hope nonprofits are ready, um, it, depending on the election one way or the other, with messages they are going to capture the passion of donors. Uh, I do think it muddies the water a bit because we want to move into Giving Tuesday right after Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And that's a day when we're celebrating philanthropy all over uh, the country. And it's a, it's a wonderful time to switch the focus away from divisive politics to helping your neighbor. Yeah. And one of the things I have found as I've been doing speaking gigs and other client engagements over the course of the last couple of months is it just, you know, people are just much more fired up and they're hungry, they're angry, they're, you know, they want, they want to get into the game and they see you out on the field. And I do think that, that lots and lots of people are looking for an invitation to get onto the field. And I think that's an opportunity for fundraisers right right at this time. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I heard in your earlier comments that your listeners should be hopeful about the last six weeks of the year. Um, and you have a, um, you have a really fantastic post that outlines, um, some really excellent year end fundraising tips. And I think it, to me, when I read it, I think it offers uh, leaders a way to focus because I think in the last quarter you can get pretty frantic. And I generally find that uh, panic and focus do not usually go very well no, together. So our, me, our folks need tips. So help us, yeah. please. Let me, let me share some very specific strategies. First of all, pull a list of your top 10% donors last year, the the people who gave the most money last year and focus on them personally. And if you want to drop, drop a Thanksgiving or holiday gift by their office. Uh, But you, if you want to make exceed last year's totals, you really want those largest donors to renew their gifts. So that is absolutely where I would have my top, 
priority. You can also have a little holiday gathering or Thanksgiving gathering for that group. And even if they don't come, you get credit for the invitation and they have heard from your organization and you are higher in their radar screen so that when your appeal comes, they'll say, oh, yeah, I know those people. Also, um, I think that board members can be very helpful in literally making phone calls and ask this time of year for donor renewals. I think board members are more comfortable calling about renewed gifts than they are seeking out new donors. And I I don't blame them because they're not well-trained frequently in how to do this fundraising. But if you could figure out a way to have your board members do a phone bank just to ask donors to renew their gift cheerfully. And, you know, if you're going to do a phone bank, get everybody in a room, give them pizza, have balloons, you know, give them party favors or something. Like Joan said, make it a party and get their enthusiasm up for making these calls. That's going to help you be successful. Now, I do, I do, one of my favorite organizations uh, didn't start their year-end campaign until mid-November. So right when we're listening to this, and you know what they had their board members do, which I highly, highly recommend, they had their board members do a thankathon the week before Thanksgiving and the week after Thanksgiving. So I the love board, that. Yes, the board members were not asking. They were not nervous and they didn't have the clammy energy. They were full of joy thanking these donors. And we have to remember that board members are perceived to be the highest legal authorities of the organization. And when a board member takes time to make a phone call, it is a big deal to a donor. Far And board members, I think, don't really appreciate how they are seen. They're seen as community leaders. And they have to remember that the only reason they're, they're doing this work is out of the goodness of their heart. Uh, I, I, you know, I, um, I do st- kind of storytelling workshops, like how to work a room with board yeah. members. And I, I always start out by, you know, I go to enough of these fundraisers to have people come up to me and start talking to me. And they'll yeah. just introduce themselves and say, hi, my name's Mary Smith. And, you know, who are you and what brought you here? And they'll do their job. And then I'll say, so Mary, what, what's your connection to the organization? And Mary will just like calmly and like sort of almost sheepishly say, I'm I'm actually the board chair. I'm thinking you buried the lead, honey. <laughs> like like it's a big deal for me if the board chair comes over and talks to me. And I think that board members don't understand that they are authoritative, credible, impressive messengers, whether they feel that way or not. Yeah, yeah, and lots of times my board retreats turn into pep rallies. Uh, in a way, because uh, one of my goals is to, you know, by fired up fundraising is my theme is to have board members have that enthusiastic energy that also gives them the confidence and the motivation to go out and be the kind of ambassadors they need to be. Um, and and I think the, the other thing I, um, I I talk a lot about too, and I bet you do, is that uh, the thankathon or the renewals. Oh yes, uh, are so important, but they also will they will also incent your board to begin will be much more receptive to a sort of a stewardship program the following year because you'll say to them, you know, you know how how much positive feedback you got from Tom when you called to re- renew their gift. Can you imagine if like once a quarter you had actually sent a quick email? with a link to some really cool accomplishment of your organization to Tom and you were Tom's steward. 
throughout the year in a nice, easy way. That would have been like talking to an old friend by the time you got to November. You know, and I love the idea of board members taking the assignment just to foster the relationship with a few key people. They don't have to do any asking. They just have to cultivate and, and, and connect the donor to the organization's work. And that's really the fun stuff about fundraising. And we know for a fact that if, board, that if board members reach out to donors and donors feel therefore connected and engaged with the organization, the donors are going to give money frequently without even having to be asked. We say that the ask takes care of itself. Oh, interesting. So if you're looking at the last six weeks of the year, what are the things that your board members can do? Because they're key volunteers. They're very important volunteers. Can they do a thank-a-thon? Can they host a small holiday event for a certain segment of donors that are very important to you. Uh, even if the donors don't come, you, the invitation is, it lands in their brain. Can right. board members in, um, uh, engage in, um, uh, in making renewal phone calls? Can they write? Per- Here's another strategy I love, Joan. When board, board members can write personal notes on the bottom of letters, um, I just think that's a very powerful activity. Maybe if you can peel off the top 1% of your donors who have not yet given and need to renew right. and, and circle, you know, give every board member 10 letters. Of course, you have to make sure that you you have the letters and the uh, envelopes and everything carefully organized. It can be an organization nightmare, but there is a way to do it. I remember one time I was helping a small grassroots. I was volunteering for an organization in Raleigh where I used to live. And we did a very personal appeal and we gathered all of our very key community leader volunteers around a table and we all wrote a little note and name on the bottom of the letters. Mm -hmm. We had a high return. (laughs) We had the former mayor, you know, all these people. Um, So the personal note helps the fundraising appeal letter stand out and studies show that the handwritten note at the bottom is the first thing the donor reads when the letters open. And another thing I like to do with those kinds of letters is the board member can write something on the outside of the envelope to be sure that the letter is actually opened. Oh, that's smart. You know, if you get a letter from the Food Bank of North Carolina, for example, and they just, it's just their regular old logo and a white regular envelope, you know, it's not going to really stand out from the other piles of mail, but if there's a person's name handwritten in the upper corner that might say, you know, um, Joan Smith, you know, please open or please read exclamation point. Wow. I'll open it. Very, very interesting. That actually leads to um, uh, something you talk about, about the idea of Surprise and delight. Yes, yes, yes. Something, uh, you know, I'm assuming that that when you talk about that, you're talking about sort of cutting through the year-end clutter. So you can talk a little bit about surprise and delight. And then I I don't want to forget to talk about Giving Tuesday, so I'm saying that as much as a reminder to myself as as to listeners. So what is surprise? What do you mean by surprise and delight? What does that look like? Well, you know, surprise and delight sometimes can look a little bit quirky. It can be heartwarming. It can be emotional. It can be schmaltzy. It can be, um, I know that um, the Toronto group Agents of Good uh, uh, are leaders in the Surprise and Delight uh, fundraising campaigns, and they were working for a heart hospital called Humboldt Heart. 
and they they had their organization send an appeal letter with a great big pink cut out heart stand inside the appeal letter and it said please send your note back to the hospital about your Humboldt heart heart experience and they got all these hearts back in the mail with notes from donors and they put them all up on this huge wall it was just it was very personal and very heartwarming to see what all the people had written. You ask someone who's connected to an organization to, to do something, and sometimes people think, oh, well, I can't ask my donor to do something. I want them to write a check. And what we know is the more you ask someone to do, the closer you bring them to the organization, right? Yeah, I think especially small organizations sometimes look at donors as um, uh, the bank, you know, and they're just going to see send all they want from their donors is money. They don't want to engage with them. They don't want to appreciate them. They don't want to spend any time from them. They just want to get money. And that attitude is not going to bring successful fundraising because donors are important stakeholders of your organization. And they are true believers. We're, we're talking about my, my consulting team and I are talking about the whole concept of the true believer. And we're thinking about giving the boards we work with a true believer certificate, individualized. Uh, you know, I'm a true believer because if board members can take on that persona, that passionate persona, they're far more willing to be more cheerfully aggressive representing their organization in the field. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I've landed on the word ambassador. I, you know, ambassadors and who are kind of in the invitation business, not to soft pedal the obligation of bringing new resources in, but it's not a transactional thing, right? It's about spreading the good news about your organization and inviting people to be a part of something, right? It is not a transaction. Woo-wee. Um, <clears throat> so we are talking with Gail Perry. Gail is an international fundraising consultant, keynote speaker, trainer, and leader in the philanthropy field. She's a leader in this new brand of fundraisers who are on the cutting edge of fundraising today. She has something called the Fired Up Fundraising Approach, which has been developed over the past 30 years as a nonprofit philanthropy expert. And she's helped organizations raise hundreds of millions of dollars in gifts. Gail particularly enjoys working with nonprofit board leaders and board members, introducing them to a new perspective on fundraising and how they can be successful. So <clears throat> part of year-end fundraising inevitably involves something called Giving Tuesday. Oh, yes. And I, I get asked a, a boatload of questions about how to make the most of Giving Tuesday. And I want to go back to what I was talking about a few minutes ago, um, about what you were talking about, about the surprise and delight and the cutting through the clutter on Giving Tuesday. Some people think, I'm, you know, I'm just going to barrage people who are already barraged. So how do you introduce surprise and delight into Giving Tuesday in a way that actually cuts through that clutter and makes Giving Tuesday a valuable year-end fundraising strategy? Well, first of all, get rid of the notion that there's a barrage <clears throat> and instead be think opportunistically about your organization and how excited you are about your goal for Giving Tuesday. Because too many nonprofit people sell themselves short, <clears throat> excuse me, by thinking that there, there's too much competition out there. So that's number one, it's a mindset thing. But number two is there are, there are very specific strategies that you can start deploying right now to be successful with Giving Tuesday. And let me run down them real quickly. You want to set a dollar goal and a purpose for the 
the, the money that you're raising. Uh, it's so helpful to be able to talk about something specific like scholarships or back, backpacks or food for kids or elderly or something specific. And then be sure you seed the, um, your camp, little campaign with money ahead of time. Get some donors to quietly make gifts so that you start the day with more money in the till because studies show you raise money at, if you already have money there. That's one of the very important strategies that's just emerged. But in terms of board members, uh, some board, uh, I would say looking at my friends, and we're all boomers, maybe one third of my friends are very active on social media, maybe one quarter. And what I would do if I'm with an organization, I would try to identify the board members and donors and key supporters who are social media who are active and at, literally ask them to be an ambassador for giving day. It's so funny. People, if you ask people to take on a job, that's not normally something they would do. They'll, they'll often go, Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll spread this out to my network. So you, you, you set your key ambassadors up ahead of time and Lord knows board members can post on their social networks. I mean, really give me a break. Right. They're just barely learning that that's something they should be doing is posting on their social networks about how much fun their board activity is. And in fact, now when we do a board retreat or was on one of our capital campaigns or consulting clients, whenever we have a, a big board meeting, we'll take a group picture with everybody doing something fun and we'll share it and ask them to all post it on their, on their social media sites. So mm-hmm. there's lots of ways to activate your board members to make sure Tuesday is successful for you. And then again, it needs to be cheerleading. It needs to be like a party. It's gung ho. Let's have some fun. Because you know, Joan, a lot of people are disparaging giving Tuesday and I am all for it. I'm all for it because it's a day to celebrate philanthropy and everybody's talking about it from A to Z. And I'm getting these odd requests from organizations I sort of know from somebody that I, as a friend of mine, and gosh, I'll throw in $10. And you know why? It's because I want to be part of the party uh, that's happening this day. So, right. so we started off talking about that cheerfully aggressive, that enthusiasm. We, you carry that with you through Giving Tuesday and, and you're able to, um, you're able to create some new supporters for your cause just because they're participating in all the fun of the day. Correct. So um, one quick note, I just um, a couple of weeks ago did a podcast with uh, Henry Timms, who's the CEO of the 92nd Street Y, who actually created the brand Giving Tuesday. And uh, it, it's it's an amazingly powerful brand that has gone worldwide and has been um, altered and customized for different organizations. And, you know, celebrating philanthropy is... It's a very good thing. I mean, especially how many people do not know what, that philanthropy comes from love of humankind. It's a Greek word. And, you know, it's not like <laughs> helping somebody take a crowbar to their wallets, you know? <laughs> and um, so I'm, I'm, I'm totally intrigued by this. And my next question is about organizational leadership. So you talk about, um, you know, having the the board members be ambassadors posting things on social media i sometimes think that that executive directors don't do a good enough job of quote unquote feeding their board 
the kind of material that would be shareable that or ask them to share it. Like I, I sometimes I think that 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 organizational leaders on the staff side sort of have this expectation that they're going to do things, but that the, the staff leader is not necessarily taking the lead and saying, here are five things you can do. Here's a story I'm going to send you every other week, or here's a video I made. Can you post it on social media and send it to 10 people and say, this is why I'm proud to be on the blank, blank, blank board with no ask attached to it? So I, I sometimes I think the staff leaders aren't doing their jobs. Yeah, I absolutely believe that um, it's it's a fallacy to just think that your board members are going to do this stuff. You know, and then then the nonprofit leaders will comp- complain or the fundraisers will complain, my board doesn't do anything. You have got to lead them. And it's up to you to create strategies and feed the content to them and be very specific about what they should do. Because I believe that board members who are not put to work productively in areas that are going to help execute the organization's plan, then those board members, if they're highly energetic and well-meaning, they're, they're going to come up with their own ideas that may not be part of your plan. So a happy, a happy board member is a busy board member uh, doing things that are ta- executing tactics that everybody has agreed upon ahead of time. I'm sure you've run into well-meaning board members who come up with these strategies that require a lot of staff support and they're not, they're not well thought through. So we want to, we want to, we want to firmly uh, control and execute a fundraising plan and strategy that everybody in the organization buys into and help board members cheerfully understand their role, which may not be directly asking for money. It can be all the fun stuff. Actually, Gail, I thought you were very politic there. That's you want to preempt the wacky idea of the uh, <laughs> of that special board member who's come up with some wacky idea that's going to take a lot of staff time. Yeah. Um, what about um, so? Let's just talk about on the other side of the equation: the board chair and yeah. the development committee. What role? You know, what's what's any strategies, advice? What do you see as their role in sort of this full court year end press? Uh, well, the board chair needs, again, I hate to use the word cheerleader again, but the board chair needs to be encouraging board members to do X and Y, whatever's been decided. So the board chair needs to corral people, motivate them, encourage them, send cheerful emails and phone calls. How can we help you? Uh, and the board chair can can call out one board member who's highly active in the things that he or she is doing as an example for all the other people to follow. I love um, the peer, you know, board members uh, do travel in a flock. And if so if a couple of board members are performing at a certain level successfully and you hold that up, it's the best motivator of all for them yes. to adopt that behavior rather than the staff complaining or whining or saying, oh, won't you please do this? Oh, we work so hard, which um, the, 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 that staff approach is, uh, is um, a failure. And so the development committee, okay, John, I have a very... Um, specific notion of what the development committee of the board should do. And it's a little bit out of the box. Well, I look forward to it because I, I have a pretty specific idea too. Let's see if they're okay. actually even remotely in sync. The board, the board development committee of the board said should A, make sure there's a fundraising plan and strategy. B, make sure that everybody agrees to it and they're going to do what they can do to support it. C, the board development committee is in charge of making sure that small teams of board members execute their role in the fundraising strategy. So the board development committee is not literally in charge of fundraising. It's in charge of the whole board adopting fundraising as one of their key jobs. Um, You agree? I totally 
totally agree because I think one of the uh, most problematic dynamics in a nonprofit organization is the power dynamic of a staff leader nagging board members to do things. Like the power balance is totally wrong. And that the that I have far too often seen that I have far too often seen development committees that feel that that where the clarity of the charge of the committee is um, is completely murky, and so they think of themselves as supervising the development efforts of the staff, which is God help us, right? No. God help us, right? No. That they're in the business of peer peer champion accountability work, right? Is how do we as a board? I've, I've heard people say, I don't want a development committee because everyone on my board should be, uh, I think the, I have the whole board is a development committee. I said, you're missing the boat, buddy. Like the, you need an engine. You need a board, board engine to motivate and to introduce accountability and to get people, what am I, I'm going to have a development director, an executive director, uh, hounding my board chair for his fundraising plan. Like no way. The, the dynamics no. are wrong. And, no, so, and yeah. so I think I think that um, organizations would be really well served by following what Gail's talking about here, which is really about how to frame that development committee so that it is taking on ownership of how the board fulfills its fundraising obligations in a whole host of ways, and um, and that that you know that that balances out the power in a way that makes a whole lot more sense absolutely i think we should you and i should do a whole podcast on board development committees i've got a great job description that's frequently downloaded from my site very good so and that's at gailperry.com with two r's that's another yeah. thing that Gail and I have in common is the two r thing um, yeah. a couple of last questions you te- yeah. you tell folks to write an appeal that your grandmother will like yeah. And is is that about is that about the age of a, the person receiving the appeal or is that about clarity of message? Well no, it's um um your donors are typically 60 years old and older. Uh and uh people writing the appeals tend to be sometimes very young. Uh and so you may want to use person um terminology or an approach that may not land with your grandmother. So we like to say would an older person, would a boomer uh, like me uh, react to, how would I react to this message? And also, that also means that the font of your letter has got to, it cannot be gray. Please do not give me gray font. I cannot read it. It's got to be, and also don't give me white font on a color background. I think people don't pay enough attention about readability. Uh, my daughter is a brand new fundraiser at the, um, at a land trust here in North Carolina. And I helped her write a, um, a month, a, a little ad for monthly donors in their newsletter yesterday. So my daughter has a fundraising consultant in her back pocket, right? <laughs> talk a lot about how is it going to be presented in the newsletter? Is it going to have white space? How easy is it to read? So re- readability is key with older donors. And the studies show, if I may please, that um, and this is from the uh, Lilly Center on Philanthropy at Indiana University. That for every hundred dollars Boomer and older men make, then women in the same of the same age and economic circumstances give two hundred and fifty-eight dollars, compared to every hundred dollars men give. Well, that might have been that might that stat alone might have been the worst the price of admission to today's podcast, huh? Yeah, and so who are you know when you're doing your year end 
appeals. Where are the ladies? Make sure they're getting TLC. Because lots of times it's the men who manage to stand out more than the women. Very it, super interesting. You know, it's funny when I read this on your website, I actually thought I thought it was you're going a different route because I remember when I I've had a lot of media training in my uh, in my career, and one of the things the media trainers will always tell you is if you're going to be on CNN or MSNBC, the best um, the, the message that will stick the most and be the most universal is the one that you would if you called your mom on the phone to explain the issue, and if she yeah. if she got it, everybody would. So I actually thought it's interesting that it's not just about who's receiving it, but I do think that there's a a clarity of messaging um, that you get by thinking about sort of who am I talking to and how do I get them to understand an issue that might be a little bit more complex, for example. Yeah, I was helping some people with their fundraising appeal letter yesterday, and the letter seemed very stilted and formal. But when she was talking to me about why the organization was so important in their work, her words were just so much more interesting than what was written, written down. So funny. Yeah, it is funny. Um, uh, I often, people, uh, if I'm working with somebody on like a gala speech or something, I'll just put on my voice memo on my iPhone and I'll just get them to talk. And, yeah. Right. And then I'll say, well, if you if you write something, you draft something, I'll punch it up for you and I'll I'll send them the voice memo. And you can tell the, the difference between that voice memo and what they've ended up putting in writing is usually fairly stark. Um, so I have one one last question and then an observation. So, all right, let's say you're an executive director and you're, and you're sort of in this panic mode and you have not made a sufficient number of like sort of donor visits and it's mid November and you don't you haven't scheduled them. Um, is it too late? I mean, because some things can be done on the phone, but you, you're going to need to get in front of some of your donors in November and December. Um, does it seem oh, it's never too late? Never it's too never late. too late, right? So I shouldn't worry that. Oh my goodness, it's like oh oh here she comes. She didn't make this appointment earlier. You know, I shouldn't walk away from that saying it's too late to make a donor meeting schedule. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people ask me, "What do I say when I ask for the donor meeting?" Yeah, what and, do you say, Gail, when you ask for a donor meeting? Well, you know, I'm not going to say, "May I please come talk to you about your year end gift." Um, I think that's it's harder to get an appointment when you do that. Uh, my favorite way, of course, to get a meeting with a donor is to have something you need to talk to them about. You know, for example, uh, we are working on a project. We're working on our year end campaign right now, and I would love to run it by you and see what you think. You know, um, asking a donor for advice or the advice visit strategy is a very, very powerful way to um, to to engage with a donor because you have to remember that donors want to do the talking to you. They don't want to be talked at. And we forget that because we're so organization focused and so we think we've got to have a pitch and a presentation. Um, but, but my strategies are the more you let your donor talk and you listen and help them understand the impact of the work, the faster they give you money sometimes even without asking. So um, uh, that's a really good piece of advice. Uh, so um, as was almost everything you spouted here this uh, on our in our conversation, I, there's a, I'm an observation about something, and I wonder about your take on it as we get ready to close out this um, conversation. So sometimes when I talk to board members, and, and I wonder if you have the same experience, I, I think to myself, Oh, I do this index card exercise where I ask people to write down one word that that comes to mind when they um, when they think about fundraising, and the words anxiety always come up, and inevitably the word terrifying comes up, 
and <laughs> and I um, I usually have a picture, a slide that I show when a word terrifying comes up. Sometimes I'll have a slide or photograph or something of Captain Sully Sullenberger landing the uh, the, the airplane in the Hudson River from several years back. I'm like, this is terrifying. Asking people for money, not terrifying. And I remind them, because uh, everybody has a kid in their life in one way, shape, or form, and I remind them about how they feel when their kid or their niece or their grandson comes through the door and says, you know, our fourth grade class is trying to raise money for type 1 diabetes because uh, Danny Zinn was just, um, uh, was just diagnosed, and we're going to do blah, 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 and blah. And the, the kid comes in with delight and joy about being able to do that. And I try to get the board members to remember what it is that they feel like when their kid comes through that door. And the first word that comes out of their mouths is pride. Oh, that's so wonderful. Right, so think about that for a minute, Gail. And and um, do, did we, do, do we stomp that out of adults? Like, <laughs> what, like what are we doing wrong? And how do we actually... How the board members are make, making up fundraising to be this horrible, horrifying thing of asking for money. But, you know, there are other ways to ask donors. You can say to a donor, would you like to know more about how you can support this work? Right. But and, and, and how do we I, I think part of our, part of the charge of folks like you is, is and I like the you know, I like your phrase fired up fundraising is to how do we reignite in mm-hmm. grown up people? right that sense of wonder and pride and delight that they can gather together and help raise some money for danny zen's type 1 diabetes or whatever it is and i somehow somehow that we we lost that in the translation from childhood to grown-uphood that's why when you make it fun and turn it into a party and have a goal and a specific project and it's all about love and kisses and changing the world that's why I think the energy that we started out this whole conversation with is the key to turning to turning the notion of what we are doing in terms of fundraising, turning it around. Yeah, make I, it noble. It, make it noble. Noble. That's and that is the word. And um, and I think that um, one of the things I always enjoy um, when we speak is that that I feel that I feel the sense of nobility that you instill in in, in organizations as you. Um, work your tail off to. Uh, I'm the great encourager. Yeah, to fuel to fuel the nonprofit sector, and I think all of us are extremely <laughs> grateful for all the fuel that you have uh, helped inject into the sector. Um, you can do it. You yeah, do- we can. And so, um, what you've heard today is the tip of the Gail Perry iceberg. She's so funny. Get yourself on over to gailperry.com. That's uh, Gail with uh, Perry with two R's. By the way, I lived for 30 years in North Carolina, and anytime I spent time talking to Gail by the end of the conversation, I too have a Southern accent, but I'm really from Long Island. Um, I need to clean that up. Help me clean up my accent. There you go. So um, you can grab insights at one of her webinars. There are so many resources right there at her site uh, and um, a great book that she has called Fired Up Fundraising. Turn board passion into action, and you can find that at Amazon, and it probably should be on your shelf. Here's hoping that our conversation offered you some practical steps you can take to make the most of year-end fundraising, that it turned a little bit of your panic into a whole lot of focus, and, um, and that you leave with a lot of hope that um, 
that the next six weeks is going to be awesome for you and for your organization. So again, Gail Perry, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I love chatting with you. All right. Well, we'll have to come up with, there's more topics ahead for us. I'm just sure of it. I'm sure there are. All right. (laughs) And until next time, um, thank you to everybody who's listening for all you do. Um, uh, It is a privilege to offer you advice, suggestions, and a a little dollop of hope. So happy fundraising. And until next time, uh, thank you for all you do. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at JoanGary.com, reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at NonprofitLeadershipLab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary.